Welcome back to That's Orgasmic. You are joined by your host, sexologist, Emily Duncan. And today I'm joined again with Chloe Berger, a pelvic floor physio. So how are you today, Chloe? Welcome back to That's Orgasmic. Yeah, I'm really good. Thank you so much for having me back on. I'm excited to do another one. It's been a little while now. Yeah, it has. It's probably been, what, 12 months? Maybe longer? Yeah, a little bit longer. I think it was like April, yeah, 2021, was it? Yeah, so it's been a while and lots of things happened since then. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So today I really want to talk about penis owners' pelvic health because I feel like although I'm hearing a lot more conversations about pelvic floors, it's often surrounded like around vulva owners. Um, However, obviously everybody has a pelvic floor. So I, yeah, I guess I wanted to kind of talk about like what it's like for penis owners. And I guess to start, just in case nobody like, or if anybody hasn't listened to the last episode we did, what is a pelvic floor? Yeah, it's funny that you say that about um, female public floors and the conversation and things like that, because I have in the past, like, spoken to male friends or, you know, people in my life and um, been like, you know, about pelvic floor stuff and they actually don't even realise that they have a pelvic floor at all. Like they, not even that they don't know what it is or what it does, that they don't realise they have one. So it's quite interesting that the conversation is so different and hopefully that will change over time. Same as, you know, women's pelvic floor issues. It's definitely got a lot more common, but I think, um, yeah, for men, they probably just don't talk about it with their friends and they don't, you know, talk about it with anyone in their life. And, you know, they might be the first time they hear about it is is if you know someone in their family had prostate cancer or something like that that's probably the most common reason people would hear about you know incontinence and and pelvic floor issues and things in in men but um to go back to the question of what a pelvic floor actually is so your pelvic floor is like a group of muscles so it's like a sling um or a hammock underneath your pelvis which goes from your pubic bone at the front to your coccyx at the back and it basically holds your pelvic organs up so For men, that's usually just bladder and bowels and prostate as well. And obviously for women, which we talked about in the last podcast, we have the uterus um, too. But for men, yeah, it's a little bit simpler. Um, But the muscles obviously do a similar job in men and women, but work in different ways. So for men, it's all about that, yeah, continence maintaining, stopping leaking urine and leaking bowels, as well as helping with um, erectile function. So it is a really important muscle and does a lot for, for men um, in their yeah, pelvic health, I guess, is the term that, that we use in, in pelvic floor physio. Yeah, definitely. So I'd love to just like talk about all of the common issues that I guess we see with pelvic owners, pelvic floors, um, and like, yeah, I guess what the common ones are that often come up. Yeah, so I've touched on a little bit of them already, but we'll go through. So incontinence um, obviously happens in men as well and it's not talked about anywhere near as much as women and you know the stigma around um, probably continence issues for men is a lot bigger than it is for women and you know it's sort of talked about like for women it's normal you know after you've had a baby to you know leak and things like that but for men it's yeah not talked about at all and the prevalence or like how many men have um, incontinence is actually similar in men and women once you get to 65 years old so the amount of people that 
will experience it as they get older is is quite similar, yet we, we treat so many less men um, for it. And I guess, you know, in younger men, incontinence still happens as well. There's, you know, depending on, on what age group you're looking at, it might be, you know, 5 to 12% of men that are actually experiencing it. So that's not a small number. It's not, you know, necessarily rare at all, but you probably don't know anyone in your life that would admit to, to having continence issues, you know, in their 20s or, or something like that. Um, and I guess, you know, there's different things that we um, see that, that will cause incontinence too that I talked about before, like cancer, um, prostate cancer surgery um, is a big one as well. And I think, you know, the other thing with that is that you know a lot of people don't even realize that when they do have prostate cancer that they'll um you know the very vast majority you know it's something like 95 percent of men or, or up to 100 percent of men who've had surgery for prostate cancer will be incontinent especially at the start and then you know a lot of men will have ongoing incontinence as well after that so it's a big thing for, for certainly people who are experiencing that and you know, in terms of how we treat it and, and what people have to go through. So you don't even think about things like men not having anywhere to put a pad, like when they go to the toilet. Yeah, and I was not having say a thing. Yeah. And like, you know, obviously women can just go and use the, the sanitary bin in, in, in their toilet, but, you know, men are having a lot of the time to toilet in front of other men and, you know, having to not have anywhere in public that they can, yeah, dispose of their sanitary products, which is, yeah, just really awful um, situation to be in. And a lot of men, you know, just won't go anywhere when they're incontinent. They won't do anything. They'll, like, socially isolate and obviously has a big effect on quality of life. And we see, like, higher depression rates and things like that in men who are experiencing incontinence. Mm, Yeah, no, absolutely. I can imagine that, like, it would be such a, like, debilitating isolating especially if you don't feel like you can talk about it with your mates or people around you like trying to go by like out in your day-to-day life would be so hard so hard yeah definitely and it's one of those things that sometimes even the surgeons like don't touch on and luckily now the vast majority of men who are having prostate surgery will have a pre-op appointment with a pelvic floor physio and so that's where there's those big you know dedicated clinics who do those things and the hospitals and stuff but you know they might get to their pelvic floor physio appointment and then are told that they will be incontinent afterwards and that's the first time they're hearing about it and you know they might be having their surgery in a week or you know things like that and they're you know having to work out how they're going to manage their continence afterwards and and all of that kind of stuff so yeah it's really big um especially in that population and I think you know we don't obviously talk about it enough or or have enough awareness and and enough you know support for for people going through that Mm, absolutely how is it then treated like is it through like public floor exercises like how how are we how are we treating it yeah so it is so um obviously they will have that pre-op appointment and usually that's where they're taught how to do a pelvic floor exercise and I guess in terms of how it works um with continence um your prostate is if people don't know a gland that sits sort of above in the in the pelvis that um also 
comes around the urethra, so that tube that the urine comes out of. So it will actually create a physical barrier or stopper for urine. And also when they do the surgery, they often have to get rid of part of the sphincter as well, which is another yeah muscle that's going to stop that urine coming out. So they'll remove that sphincter and that yeah physical prostate. And then that just leaves um, the pelvic floor muscles that are having to be used for continence. So when you have your pelvic floor muscles weak or or not having been used they don't have to do as much in a man without um the the prostate being removed so they're just not used to acting and men aren't used to voluntarily activating them as well so we teach them how to turn it on and off and then um after the surgery it's hopefully a little bit easier for that to come back quicker and then it's about just strengthening and training that pelvic floor so same as a woman you'd be doing pelvic floor exercises or kegel exercises some people call them and and doing squeezes and you know initially it would just be you know about trying to stop urine flow and trying to get it stronger and more endurance and then we might incorporate that into you know functional things like a lot of the time they'll leak they'll be fine you know all the time other than you know they might leak getting up out of a chair or you know coughing or things like that so then we'll train it in those positions and then you know if they wanted to go back to heavy lifting or you know things like that with a lot of men's jobs um that they do then we train it with with heavy lifting and with you know a um strengthening program for, for other muscles of the body as well so a lot of people will achieve continence after the surgery some won't and you know there's obviously further medical options for treating it if they don't and going back to the surgeon and having you know an artificial sphincter put in or um you know different things like that that the surgeons can do but a lot of people do really well with pelvic floor physio yeah awesome and it's good that it's starting before hopefully for most people the surgery so they can get used to it because I even remember the first time I found out about a pelvic floor in a Pilates class of all places which obviously you would know like a lot of Pilates instructors always you know banging on about engaging your pelvic floor um and I remember I was like how the how do I do this I was like I have never never done this in my life I don't even know if I'm doing this right like but also I found in the class that they weren't actually really explaining how to do it properly it was still kind of like this hush hush I don't want to say that you've got to like, you know, what you've got to actually engage. So, so it was like quite confusing. So I can only imagine for like penis owners and like, you know, like cis men, especially just being like, what is going on? Like, what is this thing? How do I engage it? Like, yeah, I can only yeah. imagine that, that, that whirlwind of going through it too. Yeah, definitely. And I think like it's probably even when they come to a physio appointment, they often don't expect um, what, going to happen does happen like I think nowadays most women if they've had a bit of research into it and gone into looking into seeing a pelvic floor physio they know to expect that they might have a vaginal examination and that kind of thing but for men um yeah they they don't expect that they might be you know taking their clothes off and doing a pelvic floor contraction with the physio trying to observe that because it's a little bit harder to assess in men um your pelvic floor because obviously with the a woman we can palpate through the vagina and feel the muscles working and we can do that through the rectum but it's not as good in terms of that's going to give you those muscles that support around the anus um, and it's not going to give you those muscles at the front that are supporting around the urethra so 
with that, there's, you know, you can use an ultrasound machine, but not all pelvic floor physios have the ultrasounds that can can look at it. And it's not always, you know, specific to, to that pelvic floor muscles because it is hard to get. Um, but yeah, the other way to do it is just by looking at it and you can see the pelvic floor muscles moving by seeing that lift of um, the penis usually and scrotum coming up when they're doing it in the right direction. And, you know, sometimes we describe it as like the, what, action you're trying to do is like if you know a guy was to walk into cold water and they feel that like you know jolt of everything sort of coming up that's often your pelvic floor like automatically contracting to lift um your testicles out of the water so that they're not getting this cold so that's sometimes yeah how we might describe it or teach it and then yeah we might actually have to physically watch if if the person's comfortable of course and we can always teach it and get them to go home and have a look in the mirror themselves or get their partner to have a look um if they have a partner and, you know, do it that way. But it is often, yeah, one of those things that it's good for us to actually physically, you know, assess it with our eyes and and that can be quite a confronting thing for for the man and even for, you know, being a, a new pelvic floor physio and, and having that, that situation as well. So, yeah, it's a big, I guess, learning curve for the patient and sometimes the clinician as well. Yeah, no, I can absolutely imagine and I'm glad that we've, I guess, brought this up for the any penis owners who might be listening to like actually know what to expect I guess that's the other thing like what is an assessment process like what does that actually look like um what do sessions look like so um yeah it's interesting because like yeah I was thinking because I knew obviously how a public floor physio might work with a vulva but then I was like how do you like I had the thought because I was like it's not like they have a vagina that you can you've got the muscles around that you can really easily see or actually feel or like you know so that's interesting to know yeah, definitely. And I think like, you know, it is something that, yeah, men just would have literally no idea and like their doctor's probably never done that. And, you know, maybe uh, some of these men might have had a, a digital like rectal exam from their doctor in terms of like checking their prostate. Mm-hmm. And so that's probably a similar process if they've had that done. But a lot of younger men who come and see us might not have ever had that done because there's now a blood test as well that a lot mm-hmm. of people, a lot of doctors will screen with a blood test rather than actually doing the physical examination now too. So yeah, a lot yeah. of younger men might not have, not have experienced that either yeah absolutely so you mentioned earlier about erectile difficulties and how that can tie into your pelvic floor are you able to like explain how this interacts yeah definitely so it probably does lead on a little bit from you know the prostate conversation as well because you know the vast majority of men who have prostate surgery will have erectile dysfunction afterwards as well and so that's probably the most common population that you know, as a pelvic floor physio, we'll see, but obviously we can definitely treat it for, you know, just, you know, your everyday person who has erectile dysfunction. So the the superficial or the pelvic floor muscles that are on the outside of um, the pelvis, so that outermost layer are the ones that are going to help with um, erectile function. And so basically they help with um, maintaining an erection or, you know, getting an erection as well as um, ejaculation itself. And so with um, erectile dysfunction, there can obviously be different um, causes of it or different, you know, experiences that people have. So they might have difficulty getting an erection or they might have difficulty maintaining it or they might have difficulty with their rigidity. So just how hard um, the erection is. And so all of those things are influenced by pelvic floor muscles. 
And there's been a really good sort of study or systematic review that's shown that pelvic floor muscle training is effective in treating erectile dysfunction and even premature ejaculation as well. And um, there's obviously lots of different um, things that we look at in these patients. And I think part of it is often um, mental and often where I guess we'd refer to, to a sexologist as well. So you'd obviously be seeing um, men for these issues too. And I think, yeah, a lot of people, there would be definitely a mental component as well as a lot of people there, there might be a physical component and, you know, it might be that the, the muscles aren't strong enough and that we do need to do some strengthening in that area to help with it. And, the more that we, you know, train these muscles, same as any other muscle, the more it's it's going to work as well. And so oftentimes it is that it's going to be a combined effort. Like it's not going to be that the pelvic floor physio itself is only going to work or the sexology itself is only going to work. Most people are, are probably going to need both. Yeah, absolutely. And because obviously once you, you know, start to associate this idea like, oh, my God, I can't get an erection, and then you think, okay, I definitely can't do this, and it's just this psychological loop but then you've also got to work with the physical side as well. Um, and it's good to like know that there are like other, op- like other options. Like, you know what I mean? Like instead of just like, obviously you can go to the doctor, get all your tests done to make sure your cardiac health is good. And mm-hmm. then there's the sexology psych side. And then good to also know, like there's also this pelvic floor physio side so that if, you know, one isn't being a clear fix, there is other options. Is there any other like, common issues aside from like incontinence, erectile difficulties that you will like often see or work with? Yeah. So one of the other ones that I touched on a little bit is bowel issues. So people, um, you know, that might have IBS or have, you know, looser stools, that kind of stuff might have, you know, fecal leaking. And that can be, you know, you can get pelvic floor weakness from a number of different things, but some of the risk factors for pelvic floor weakness are, you know, heavy lifting, as I was talking about before, like people who do a lot of gym work and or um, heavy job. And also, you know, um, obesity can affect it, just that extra weight on the pelvis and gravity. So um, that can definitely affect your pelvic floor health and um, high impact, you know, exercise or long-term coughing, like if you've got, you know, emphysema or asthma or something like that, that's going to put a lot of pressure down on your pelvic floor, that can lead to weakness. And, you know, then obviously the the bowel issues that we were talking about um, in terms of leaking. So that can definitely be something if any, you know, men are experiencing fecal staining on their underwear or, or some kind of leaking or urgency needing to go really quickly. That's definitely something that we see and treat and would be something that we would use that that rectal exam for most of the time if if the person was comfortable and then the other thing that we do see is chronic constipation so a lot of the time these clients that we'll see will have been to you know their doctor they've been to you know gastroenterologists and specialists and you know there's nothing wrong in terms of their like their constipation there's nothing causing it and so then oftentimes down the end of the road they might eventually get referred to a pelvic floor physio and then we might look at their pelvic floor impact on their ability to defecate so when we go to the toilet to use our bowels we do need to relax our pelvic floor muscles to 
to allow that to come through. And then we also need to use different muscles to be able to push it out um, if we need to. So a lot of the time in these clients that we see, they actually have something called dyssynergic defecation, which I think I did touch on in the last podcast as well, because it can happen in women too. But what happens is that when they push down to try and go to the toilet, their pelvic floor contracts instead of relaxes. And then that's just stopping the stool from coming out. And so in that case, it's often an, an overactive pelvic floor or it's, yeah, some people describe it as tight or um, that kind of thing so that we actually are trying to teach these clients how to relax their pelvic floor when they're going to the toilet and then that you know it's actually a physical issue of getting the stool out rather than any kind of issue with their diet or you know that kind of thing so yeah it's actually was really interesting even when I did the course and learning about how to treat these issues because I was like how do you teach someone how to go to the toilet like that just seems quite strange it's mm-hmm. obviously you know if you haven't ever had an issue with it um and so we actually use something called rectal balloon training which sounds quite odd but basically we have a small balloon that um will be deflated and attached to a catheter and then through that catheter we have like a pump where we can put air into the balloon so we would actually um insert the balloon into the patient's rectum and then blow it up and then not large it's quite small in terms of how much air you actually put in it and then um we would get them to practice trying to expel that balloon so trying to get it out and we would coach them on how to relax their pelvic floor at the same time and you can also use it for the other end in terms of the leaking and the urgency so that we can train um, people to contract their pelvic floor when they're getting the urge to go to the toilet and they don't have access to a toilet. So we might blow the balloon up and then get them to practice squeezing their pelvic floor while they've got that sensation of urgency that you get when you have stool in your rectum. So it's actually quite an interesting um way to to teach it and something that I'd never come across before and something that probably yeah people wouldn't expect um a physio to be doing in an appointment either no I've never heard of that so it's super super interesting and like it's cool to see the ways that I guess the medical field is advancing and the different things that they use because that's something that's quite simple but I guess I wouldn't think of like doing something like that yeah definitely yeah I was I was like so kind of shocked about it but and I think like it's probably quite confronting like for a patient to have to go through that and um I don't know whether you like saw on TikTok um there was a thing about pelvic floor physios and a um, a girl had talked about how we have to be patients in our course and how we have to practice on each other and how um she was talking about like that yeah in our course we you know will be the model for the vaginal examinations and things like that and how they just can't believe that we have to put our bodies through that um and then yeah there was a lot of talk about it on TikTok and stuff um which was quite funny but it almost seems normal to us because we do it in our physio degree for other things like we're the patient for everything else Mm -hmm. that we learn Mm -hmm. and um then yeah it comes to pelvic health and they're like well if you want to do pelvic health you have to be able to well you don't have to there is obviously options if you can't for whatever reason um but yeah it's it's a really interesting thing to actually have gone through that and you know we had to be um you know have the rectal balloon training ourselves um as well which was super confronting um Definitely. But I think it actually probably 
makes you a better clinician because you've actually been through what you're putting your patient through and you know how it feels and you know the technique and stuff especially when you're new at doing it you can then um give yeah the the person who's doing it feedback on how it feels and how you can make it more comfortable and you know that kind of thing and we did have a few um people who volunteered to be like our um patient models and um go through it and had to do it like in our exams um and like the the person that I got was you know on his sixth one for the day and so I was you know then (laughs) having to do my exam and go through and do this whole um training and get ticked off that I was competent and he's just had to you know expel a balloon for the sixth time that day and I just Oh, I can't, I just, I can't, I don't know like who these people are and, and how they put themselves through that, but it's, you know, we really appreciate it, obviously. Yeah, of course. And I also feel like, as you said, like it's such, it can be so beneficial to have gone through it yourself so that you can really explain and understand for the patient and how to do it. And also, I guess, understanding like, yeah, how confronting it is to be that person and be able to sympathize with them during that experience. Yeah, definitely. And I think um, it's funny because like medical students might do similar um, training or similar examinations and things and um, they never have to do it on each other. And I don't know, I feel like there's, you know, sometimes that issue of, you know, not all doctors, of course, but that doctors might, especially when they're, you know, new out of uni and things like that, might not have like patient comfort or, you know, things like that front of mind. And a lot of people can have bad experiences with these types of examinations and, you know, go through trauma and things like that. And, you know, that's not, you know, something that any of us would ever want to put a client or a patient through. And so I think just, yeah, it's it's almost something that I think they should do in in medical training so that you know they they understand exactly what it's like to have the procedure done and and you can explain it in terms of of you know how how it works and I think it yeah definitely makes you a better clinician but it's funny like I'd been out for dinner with my friends afterwards after having it done and I was like yeah like I just had to do rectal like balloon training today and they're like what and it's just the funniest thing because people are just like wow I can't believe that you have to go through that <laughs> yeah literally I I and I can only imagine for people who sign up to the course and not realize they're like oh my god we're doing this <laughs> yeah definitely and obviously there's options if you can't do it for whatever reason that they definitely take that into into account but yeah as I said it's actually probably is a good experience like I didn't find it a negative experience really um obviously uncomfortable but it's definitely going to be uncomfortable for patients as well yeah 100 percent, absolutely so is there any other like um conditions or anything that you think is important to touch on or those the main ones yeah, there's just one more that we do see a little bit of, which is becoming probably a little bit more common, um, is pelvic pain. So yeah. we see that in women and treat that in women as well. But oftentimes um, the men that we'll see, again, are referred by um, a doctor or a specialist and they've been through every single test and there's nothing wrong with them, but they still have this um, pain like deep abdominal or deep pelvic um, pain. And often the pain can be, you know, just there all the time if it becomes chronic and they've had it for such a long time, but it could have initially started that they just had pain after ejaculation or they just had pain during sex or they 
just had pain um, while, you know, going to the toilet and defecating. And then it's just become so bad that now they've got pain with everything. And there was um, previously often um, a diagnosis of like chronic prostatitis, so like inflammation of your prostate. And so doctors might have told a man that that's what they have and there's no actual infection there, but it's just chronically inflamed and we can't stop that inflammation. It's just that you have to have pain management to, to manage that inflammation of the prostate or eventually potentially removal of it, but that's not something that they would do for pain very often. It, I don't know how many doctors would actually do that for pain. Often it's about, yeah, just pain management for these um, clients, but then they might, yeah, eventually get referred to a pelvic floor physio and we might see them and then see that there's actually quite a lot of other things going on in terms of their pelvic floor. So they might have tenderness to palpate their pelvic floor muscles, just like any other muscle or what, you know, some people call like trigger points, which is kind of a controversial term in physio land, but, you know, specific areas of muscle spasm that um, are actually from the pelvic floor and whether the pelvic floor has been the cause or whether it started off with some kind of prostate inflammation or some kind of, you know, inflammation of a testicle or, you know, things like that. And that's been treated or an infection that's been treated and settled down. But now there's just all this residual muscle spasm and, and protection around that area because the body is trying to protect and, you know, thinking that this stimulus is is damaging and causing pain when really there's nothing wrong anymore. And so it's kind of like a lot of, I guess, other chronic pain conditions in that your body then responds to it and then you also have that mental side of, you know, the the pain cycle of being like, why am I in pain and why is this happening to me, not knowing what's causing it and then that anxiety and depression and, you know, extra sensitivity to pain because of all of that um, mental issue. And it even can start also from from mental kind of trauma or like sexual trauma as well and um, also from, you know, things that have obviously happened in, you know, this person's life, like, you know, having, you know, but poor sexual experiences or even poor like sexual self-esteem and things like that, then that can, you know, then manifest eventually into pain. So obviously in these clients, again, we'd probably be working together with a sexual sexologist mm-hmm. to work out what um, what's causing it. And then in the same way that we treat pain for, for a female pelvic floor, we'd treat it often with potentially some manual techniques in terms of like massage and trying to relax that muscle spasm and then also some you know detraining that muscle so it's um about relaxing that pelvic floor so even some meditation and mindfulness training that we might add to a pelvic floor muscle relaxation program and then you know addressing those psychological factors with your psychologist or a sexologist as well And I think, you know, it's one of those things that even like STIs or like a negative sexual experience like that could cause it as well. Like if you've had an STI and, you know, now it's been treated and there's no actual infection anymore, but you still have like pain or symptoms from it. So there can be so many different things that, you know, cause pain, especially in the pelvic area. And it's definitely if, you know, a penis owner is experiencing pelvic pain, then it's definitely something that the vast majority of pelvic floor physios would treat and something to explore. And I think, you know, men probably 
aren't talking about this stuff either at all. No, absolutely not. And I feel like even when we talk about pelvic pain, it's so geared towards vulva owners. Like it's so geared towards them in that conversation. It's not often you're hearing about pelvic pain for penis owners and what that experience is like um, and that that even is an experience for them. Um, So I think, yeah, it's super, super important to be discussing and for them to be able to have access to getting support for that. And I think it's also just interesting, like, hearing the different reasons for why it can cause that. Like, it doesn't actually have to just be this, like, physical cause like there's all these other things like you said like sexual trauma or sexual experiences knowing like you know you've been treated for an sti like there's so many things that contribute to how our bodies function and experience pain yeah definitely and even like there you know is a a client that you know i've worked with with another pelvic floor physio when i was training and doing my placement and he had actually just had you know development of like testicular and like perineal pain which is like pain between your anus and um scrotum and then you know it had resulted in like having urgency and frequency of bladder and like you know dysfunction of being able to empty your bladder and then you know had react come and affected his bowels and then it come and affected his um sexual function and having pain after ejaculating and and things like that and it actually turned out that all of this had started um after covid and because he'd had like a really high stress job that had changed and he'd gone from you know working in the office to working at home and being isolated and then he'd had um you know a relationship breakdown and and things like that and there was really like no other cause for for all of this issues other than like the the emotional or or psychological issues that he'd been through and the stress that he was under and I guess you can kind of think about it like your um when you're stressed your shoulders muscles and and neck and stuff get really tight or in a lot of people and you might get headaches and things like that when you're stressed and some for some people it's their pelvic floor and it just is on all the time in response to that adrenaline and it's just super overactive because it's just holding on and squeezing and um and just a response to stress so this um client actually obviously improved with some pelvic floor muscle relaxation training and that kind of thing and then also um was referred to a psychologist and the psychologist was probably the one of the big things that really helped but he'd been to like you know urologists you know all of these specialists and been told that he had that chronic prostatitis that I was talking about before and um he ended up yeah possibly after the end of treatment not having any pain or issues because of yeah that pelvic floor treatment and the the psychology so it was amazing to think that you know something that obviously his specialists and stuff thought was a as a physical thing was actually you know he'd never been asked about his social issues or his emotional issues by a doctor so it's quite interesting that they sort of just went well there's nothing more you can do let's refer you to a public floor physio and see what they can do and it comes out that it's yeah all of these other things contributing yeah that is so interesting and it's also so frustrating that like these things aren't being addressed earlier um and I think we definitely need to be having more conversations about the impact our emotional psychological health actually has on our bodies like it's it's everything's connected to our minds and like how we're feeling everything so like of course it makes sense that if you tense up your shoulders that your pelvic floor is something that could be tensed up um so 
yeah, it's just crazy that it's not more of a conversation that specialists aren't even, I guess, you know, I think they're just looking for, okay, what's a physical, I guess, diagnosis. Um, I guess one thing I've noticed throughout like this conversation is like pelvic floor physios seem to be like this last resort almost like they go through everything and they're like the last resort. So like when should a penis owner actually seek help from a pelvic floor physio? Yeah, so I think, I mean, oftentimes it's always great to go and see your GP, check that there's nothing physically wrong, do some tests in terms of that kind of stuff. And I think the education probably needs to start in terms of GPs referring as well, because oftentimes if there is an issue in, you know, a sexual area or a, um, you know, continence or, you know, bladder and bowels and that kind of stuff, the first place a man's going to go for help is their GP usually. And um, I think, you know, it's probably going to be pretty tricky for a man to like make the connection that they need to see a pelvic floor physio unless, you know, maybe they've listened to this podcast. (laughs) But um, I think, you know, if you have had some tests done with your GP and you, you know, then they haven't found anything like physical or anything concerning on those tests, um, then even asking your GP like, would it be beneficial for me to see a pelvic floor physio and asking for a referral because they should have um, contacts with pelvic floor physios um, to refer because, I mean, lots of GPs are referring for women. I've got, you know, plenty of referrals for women but hardly any for men. And so they should know who's in the area that you're in and who could um, treat you for pelvic floor issues. And so I think obviously getting onto things as early as possible is the best option. Like the earlier we can catch pain or that we can catch incontinence issues, the quicker they're going to get better. But obviously, you know, even if you've left it a year or, or however long, it's never too late to, to seek help for, for these kinds of things. But I think if there is yeah an issue with any of the stuff that we've talked about, bladder, bowels, pain, um, erectile dysfunction or pain with sex, anything like that, it would be worthwhile seeing a, a pelvic floor physio and I think you know it's one of those things where we've been through like extensive training like the vast majority of people who are practicing in pelvic floor physio now will have like a postgraduate degree in it um and you know some people won't because they've been experienced and they've learned um throughout the course of their career before there was a postgraduate um certificate or master's in this area so some of the more experienced pelvic floor physios won't have it, but they'll have all the skills and knowledge from their um, experience already. But I think in that situation, you know, we'll do an assessment and if we find things that we can treat, we will treat them. But again, if we don't find things that we treat, we'll usually ask questions about all these other areas and then we can hopefully direct you to someone who can help you. Like it might be that we direct you to a sexologist or a psychologist or things like that. And um, the other thing would be in terms of, you know, pain education and, and chronic pain, you know, management and things like that. You know, all physios are going to be able to help with with that psychological side of, of pain um not that we're you know ever trying to say that it's all in your head because we know that it's a real experience and that it's definitely you know if you're experiencing pain that you know it's not because you're crazy or have mental health issues or you know other things that people might have been told before by a health professional and um yeah I think just going for that first appointment and that assessment you might find that you only need one or two sessions and we can sort out those issues you might need a longer course of therapy but we're always going to you know want the best treatment for you and we'll refer you to to other 
practitioners if we think we need it as well. Yeah, absolutely. Is there anything else with like pelvic floor health that you want to touch on today? Uh, I think that's the main things for men. And I think, you know, there is such a stigma about it. And I think sometimes even it, I'm not sure what, you know, the experience is for most people, but a lot of the pelvic floor physios are women and there's only a few Mm. that are men as well. So that again, might be a barrier to getting treatment because you do have to, you know, have often a a female seeing you when you're a male which you know we're obviously trained and and comfortable and happy to to treat men but you know men may not be comfortable with that and it's it's really quite hard to find a male pelvic floor physio so that could be yeah an issue that that we come across but I think you know it's one of those things that even though it might be embarrassing or you might feel shame and things around these issues like we see it all the time and we've seen it with you know, our training at uni and our other patients go through the same thing. So I think the first step is obviously, you know, realising that you need some help and then, you know, just accepting that you can get it somewhere and and being able to find it. And I think hopefully the more and more um, we talk about it and the more that we, yeah, people talk about it with their friends and things like that, the easier it will get for, for penis owners to get this kind of treatment. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's it's such a big conversation that needs to happen and trying to break down that shame, even just the education in the first place um, so that they're aware they have a pelvic floor, they're aware that there's pelvic floor physios who, you know, you get this support from and then also just having awareness of what that might look like because I think that's the first thing. Like it can be so daunting to go into an appointment where you're like, what the fuck is this going to be? Like I've got no idea how they're going to treat this. So I think, yeah, like talking about it more and hopefully breaking down some of that, I guess, um, fear and shame and all of that. So hopefully this conversation today helps because I know any episode I do that's about like penis owners, cis men, anything literally do with penises they're always the best episodes so they're always like everybody listens to them I'm like okay obviously we need more more conversations about this yeah that's super interesting because I was going to ask you like you know like what your audience is like and like how many male people that you or you know yeah cis men or even like transgender people and things like that that you have um listening and stuff because you know that we actually also which I didn't touch on um we've done you know um a men's pelvic floor and a women's pelvic floor but we did um even have some lectures on transgender people and you know gender reassignment surgery and different things in terms of treating that stuff which I don't actually have any experience with I've never seen any patients with it but I've you know done all the training and been ticked off in terms of being competent to um see those kinds of patients and treat them and help so I think that area as well is a, is a massive conversation that isn't um talked about and and people who are going through those things might find it really hard to get help as well so that's another thing that yeah hopefully is a growing area and hopefully you know more and more clinicians get you know trained in these things so that we can yeah help people with that really big life change that that they're going through as well yeah absolutely that could be a whole another episode in itself I can imagine now, obviously, the last time we talked, this podcast was the sealed section. It wasn't that orgasmic. So I haven't had the chance to ask you yet. What is something that is orgasmic to you? Yeah, I was thinking about, you know, the, the question and um, I guess 
I think there's a massive um, conversation, I guess, recently about, you know, consent and, and Me Too and all of that kind of stuff. So I think like the most important thing to me is like feeling safe and comfortable and having that consent and, and things like that. And I think, you know, we can't have good sexual experiences if we don't have that and we don't feel you know, comfortable and not judged for, you know, any of our preferences or, you know, things that we've been through in the past. And I think, yeah, with any like sexual experience or, or an orgasmic um, thing, then that's like the needs to be, I guess, the forefront of, of people's mind. I think um, when we have these, yeah, conversations about different issues that people might be going through and, and things like that. So I think, yeah, that was one of the things that just first popped into my head. Um when I thought about that question. Yeah, I love that. I love that answer. I haven't had that one yet. And I think that is such an important answer um, also in itself. So where can the Shaggers find your content, find your business? Yeah, so I'm called at the lady physio so the dot lady dot physio on instagram and i also have a website the lady physio and pilates.com and it is obviously very tailored towards women and women's health because that's what i really love treating but obviously since doing my postgraduate degree and since becoming more interested in men's areas that's why i wanted to do this um podcast because i do think there's a big lack in that area and i think you know me being the lady physio is referring to like me being a lady and you know treating women's health but obviously I also definitely treat men and so don't be like put off by the the women's content that I have on my page and things and I'm definitely going to try and share some more diverse stuff and I've um been a little bit of an Instagram hiatus for for the last year while I've been finishing my uni course because I just had too much on and I couldn't couldn't post any content or or add that extra thing to my plate so it's something that I'm definitely going to work through in the new year and so I work um have previously worked in Warnable consulting like two days a week oh sorry in Port Ferry and now I'm just moving to Warnable next year so anyone like in southwest Victoria could definitely um see me face to face and I do offer telehealth which is not taken up very often but yeah obviously could definitely treat you over um video obviously we can't do the physical parts of it but it might be that we can talk through a lot of stuff and you could travel in for one session and then we could keep going with telehealth if we needed um two and that kind of stuff so definitely um happy to to work with you and you know send me an email or a message on my website or instagram and we'll get back to you and talk about um you know what the best option would be if you are looking for some treatment with me yeah awesome and i'll put all the links in the show notes well thank you so much for taking the time out to come on here today discuss this really important topic with me As always, Shaggers, please reach out with any comments, questions, or stories, either through my Instagram, That's Orgasmic, or my email, emilyduncan at thatsorgasmic.com. Please subscribe whatever platform you use to listen to this podcast and leave a review as I would love to know what you're thinking. So thank you, Shaggers, and I'll see you next time. (gasps)